your guest today. We're glad you're here. As John has already said, we have a number of our people at encampment. I think we have, um, we haven't had this many at encampment in, in several years, so that's a wonderful thing, a good thing. But we're glad you're here as we continue our message series uh, on, on holiness. We've called Live Differently, a holy life, holy for God. If you're tuning in uh, online, we're glad you're with us uh, is, as well. I know it's football season, and we're all excited about that. Can I get an amen? Yeah, we're excited about football season. I know a lot of folks spent some time yesterday watching games, and, and all my teams won, so today is a great day. I don't know about how your teams fared, but I want to begin uh, with a baseball story because uh, though we've just begun football again, and we love football, uh, I want to tell this baseball story because we're still in the midst of, uh, of baseball. We go until until October. Back in 2016, the Cubs had made it to the World Series. And if you're a baseball fan, you might know that there was this curse that they were experiencing. It had been 108 years since the Chicago Cubs had won a World Series, yet everything was going well for them back in, in 16. And uh, they, they had the best record in baseball. They won the, their first two series in the playoffs, and now they're in the World Series. They found themselves down three to one. They scrapped back, and now they're finally in game seven. And they go up three to one. And so they bring in uh, the premier reliever uh, at the time, uh, at, at that time, a guy who threw something like 106 miles an hour. He's the fastest relief pitcher in the game, Araldus Chapman. But they used Chapman a lot. And so they were using him, I think, for at least the third time in seven games. And so he didn't quite have the stuff that he had. The Cubs were up 3-1 to one against the Cleveland Indians. Uh, they got a double, a home run, and suddenly the game is tied. It's in the seventh inning. And if you're a Cubs fan, I know we have some probably Cubs fans in this room. If you're a Cubs fan... Um, you know, at this point, you're thinking the, the wheels have fallen off. The curse is still in place. I can't believe this is happening. But then providence shined on Cubs fans. What happened was the rain, which, it, which it was starting to fall, got more and more heavy. And so suddenly they took a break in the game. The groundskeepers came and they, uh, they, they brought the tarp out on the field. And so they had a moment to regroup. And so Jason Hayward, who was the really the team leader for the Cubs. He gets the players together, and he's talking to them. And what Jason Hayward says to the team, he says to them, I, guys, I want us to remember who we are. This is our series to win. He said, we've got the best record in baseball. We were down 3-1, to one. now the series is tied. This is our game. And the Cubs went out after... The game, after the rain cleared, the Cubs went out and played their hearts out, and they eventually won that game. They were invigorated. They were inspired by a fresh dose of truth. And in the 10th inning, they rallied, they went ahead, and the Cubs won the World Series. And this is what it looks like when they won that World Series. You can see incredible joy on their faces. Now, I'm not a Cubs fan. Uh, I w grew up a Cardinals fan, but I have uh, backslid and became an Atlanta Braves fan in time because my boys like the Atlanta Braves. But I love that picture because I love the joy in their faces. 
I think in Romans chapter 6, which is our scripture reading for this morning, I think one of the things Paul is doing is he's doing much what Jason Hayward did. Paul is telling the Romans, I want you to remember who you are. I want you to live out of that, that sense of identity that because Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, because we've been baptized into Christ, our sins have been washed away, and we received the gift of the Holy Spirit, now we need to live into, or maybe even better, live out of that new sense of identity. Now in this message series, we're looking at the issue of holiness. And one of the things we have said, and we'll put this up on the screen now, one of the things we've said is there's, there's one sense in which we talk about positional holiness. And what that means is when you come to Christ and you're baptized into his name, your position changes. You're made right with God. The Lord looks at you in a different way. And the big theological word for that is justification. But there's also a sense in which we talk about practical holiness. And the big word for that is sanctification. Now, the good news is you can go to heaven without knowing justification, sanctification, um, but, but it's a lot more fun if you know those big words. So personal holiness is this. It's, it's living from that sense of identity. It's, I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I've been, been made right with the Lord, and now my life will be different. Now I'll live a new kind of life. You see, here's the truth. Knowing our position in Christ can help us live like Christ. And practical holiness is nothing short of pursuing Jesus. And so, in Romans chapter 6, Paul is writing to some brothers and sisters who I think have forgotten who they were. They, they need to be reminded of some things. And so if you have your Bibles and you're looking at Romans chapter 6, notice three times he uses this phrase, you know. We see that in verse 3, we see that in verse 6, and we also see that in verse 9. It's like Paul wants them to remember some things. If we're going to live out this new identity we have in Christ, if we're going to um, become more and more like the Lord, let that live in us, then there are some things we need to know, some things we need to be reminded of. And he reminds us of a couple of them in this, in this chapter. So in verse 3, Paul writes this, Don't you know, there's that phrase, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live an old, a new life. There's a moment when Kevin died. There's a moment when I was raised up and I experienced a brand new life. And that moment came when I embraced Jesus in my baptism. The old is gone, the new has come, and now I have a brand new life. I'm certain every one of us in this room who've experienced baptism have baptism stories. 
Uh, I have several. I remember, and I've told you before, I think, that moment when my mother was baptized. I was probably in the second or third grade, and what a beautiful thing it was when I was sitting on the third row, and I watched my mom walk forward and make the good confession, and a gentleman by the name of Joe Hangline baptized her into Christ. And though at second or third grade, I didn't know all the significance of what was transpiring, I could tell by the tears and the joy and the response of the audience that day, I could tell that it was something very, very important. I remember my own baptism, how I'd gone to to Bible camp, to church camp, and how I, I lost my Bible, but I found a girlfriend. So it was a pretty good exchange, I thought. But after experiencing a week there at Bible camp, I had this growing sense of of, of lostness. I I had this sense that that I wanted to embrace Jesus. And I I remember it was on a Sunday morning when I I got back from camp and, and I'm sitting there listening to Noel Roberts preach. And Noel was a good man. He was our local preacher. And he extended the invitation like we do here every Sunday. And I, and I came forward. I, I, not long ago, several years ago, I, I uh, found the tape um, uh, that was recorded of, of my confession. I was 13 years old, and my voice sounded much different than it does right now. But I stood in front of that crowd, that august crowd of 30 people, and I, I confessed my faith in Jesus, and, and Noel baptized me into Christ. It's a moment I will never forget. I'm certain you probably, if you've been baptized, you probably have... A moment like that. You can remember the details surrounding your baptism. Now, my favorite baptismal story is one that Milton Jones tells, and I've told it before, but it's so good not to tell it again. Milton Jones was involved in campus ministry at the University of Washington, and he was working with some students, and one young man came to him, and he'd lived a really profligate life. He lived a very uh, wild life. But he, he came to Jesus, and he, was, he wanted to be baptized, and he said to Milton, he said, listen, will you baptize me? He said, none of this quick dunk stuff. He said, my, I, you, know how, you know what kind of life I've lived. When you, when you put me under the water, I, I want you to hold me under the water a while before you pull me up. Milton said, oh, okay. So, uh, you know, word spread on campus. They were going to have a baptism that evening, and they went to somebody's house that night. And, uh, and so all these college kids were there, and, and, and Milton's in the water with this young man, and, and the young man confesses his faith in Jesus. He said, I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then, then Milton plunged him under the water and starts counting to himself internally. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi. About at four Mississippis, the crowd's getting a little restless. And the crowd starts chanting, these college kids start chanting, let him up, let him up. After about six Mississippis, he pulls him up out of the water, and the poor guy's gasping for air, kind of gasping, and he says, what are you trying to do, kill me? And there was more theology in that statement than he realized. Because brothers and sisters, when we are baptized into Jesus We die to the old man or woman. We're dead and we're raised up a brand new person. The thing we need to remember, and what I think Paul wants the Romans to remember, is that at our baptisms, the old life is past. The old life 
is dead and buried. But we also need to remember something else. Not only is the old lifestyle past, the, the old life past, the old lifestyle is powerless. I know what some of you are thinking this moment. You're thinking to yourself, is it really? Is that old lifestyle powers? I'm not sure that it is. Well, let me say it like this. Baptism marks that moment when your old lifestyle is rendered powerless. So look at verse 6 in our reading. Again, there's our phrase, for we know. Paul, Paul wants us to remember some things. He wants us to know some things. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, notice, might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, there's a lot in, in those in that one verse, we know that this old self is crucified with him in a way that I can't quite understand. In my baptism, understand, baptism is not just some sort of religious rite. It's not a moment when we join a church. It's not even some sort of external thing that we do to proclaim I'm saved. It's not that. When we're baptized, we're connected in a way that I can't completely understand to the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. Our old self, that old person, is crucified with him. And that body that's ruled by sin is done away with. It's rendered powerless. It means it's, it's put out of business. Before that moment when you, when you claimed Jesus, you were in alliance with the evil one, but now you're in alliance with Jesus. Now you're aligned with the Lord. And that old lifestyle has been rendered powerless. You don't have to live the way you used to live any, any longer. I'd never forget one thing that Milton Jones said in a sermon. Milton preached in Washington for a number of years as a campus minister. Uh, Milton Jones once said, you know, people were talking about how that we don't believe in baptism any longer. People within churches of Christ. He said, well, I don't know about that. Everybody I know still believes in, in baptism, teaches baptism, preaches it. But he said, I, I wonder if we believe in repentance any longer. I wonder if we're losing that. Because repentance is saying, I'm turning away from that old lifestyle. I'm turning to Jesus. I'm putting my faith in him now in, in baptism. The old life is past. But the old lifestyle is also powerless. I don't have to live into that any longer. But there's one other thing that we see in this verse, which I think is, is, is beautiful New life comes from God's power. Look at the next verse, verse, verse 9, where he says, for we know. There's that phrase again. He uses it three times, verse 3, 6, and 9. He wants them to remember some things. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead. Think about that. Jesus, he died on a cross, and they took his body down, and they put it in a tomb, but it didn't stay there. That's what we believe. He was raised from the dead. It says he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he now lives to God. It was the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, and that power is available to us. 
I know sometimes we still struggle and we still feel weak at times, but we need to remind ourselves of the power that's available to men and women of faith. You see, the truth is we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory has already been won in Jesus, and now we need to live into that with this new life that we have. Paul, he begins in Romans 6 as he reminds us of some things. But then he gets very practical in verse 11. Now, we didn't read these verses, so these are new, but we're going to look at them. In verse 11 and following, Paul gets very, very practical as he helps us live this new life. So notice what we're going to read in just a moment in verse 11. Now, before, not, not quite yet, not quite yet. Jason Hayward, when, uh, when he met with the Cubs when um, they had the rain delay, and, and he was having this team meeting. One of the things he wanted his teammates to do is he, he wanted them to not accept defeat. That they, he wanted them to actually believe that, that they were winners. And because of that, they could act differently. He said to them, this is your world series. And I can't help but think Paul is doing a similar thing when we get to verse 11. Paul wants us to act out of this truth that we know and so in verse 11 we'll put it on the screen right now in verse 11 he says in the same way count yourselves dead to sin but alive to god in christ jesus i love how the niv translates this word that i've highlighted in the same way count some of your translations will use the word consider but really it's it's a it's an accounting term. It's a banking term. He says, I want you to take it to the bank. You are dead to sin. Count it true. Now, the struggle that we have with being holy, and that's what we're talking about in this message series, is our relationship with sin. And what Paul says in this verse is that we're to count ourselves dead to sin. Just as you make a deposit in a bank, you can then go out and take your debit card and buy things with the confidence knowing that you've got money in the bank. In a similar way, we can go out and live in a certain way because we know we have money in the bank. We are holy and righteous because of Jesus. He's deposited more than enough money in our spiritual accounts, so to speak. Now we count ourselves dead to sin and so don't let the old man that old corpse get up out of the grave but here's here's the thing though we've won the spiritual lottery all too often we live like we're in spiritual poverty i once heard the story of a toddler this young little child was adopted from another part of the world and in the, the morning the, ch the toddler would be fed cheerios and because that little toddler was raised in another part of the world where, where hunger was a real part of her life, where she didn't know if she'd get another meal or not, when she ate those Cheerios, she would always have a little, grab a handful of Cheerios, and she would hold on to those Cheerios all day. She wasn't living out of the truth of her present reality. She was living out of the truth of her previous reality. And by the time they would give her a bath at night, they would pry her little hand open, and those moist Cheerios would still be in her hand there's some of us who live like that 
we forget that we're, we're made right in Christ. And, and we're in Jesus. We, we have a new identity. We're, we're sons and daughters of God empowered by the Spirit to live victorious lives. And sometimes we don't live like that because we don't really believe that. But Paul wants to remind them of that. And so he says, what I want you to do is count yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But, but now, as I said, Paul gets practical. He gets really practical in the next couple of verses he says Paul says we're to know who we are we're to count ourselves dead to sin and then now he says we're to offer ourselves to God look at verses 12 and 13 I've highlighted the word offer he uses it three times therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires do not offer any part of yourself as uh, to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now notice what Paul is doing in these verses. He's personifying sin. It's like like sin as a person. I know biblically there's a sense in which sin lives in us, but there's also a sense in which sin is external to us and in this verse, he's personifying sin thus, uh, sin. He's saying, so, so Mr. Sin comes along and says, uh, can, I have your, can I have your mouth for a little while? And you go, oh, okay, just, just for a while. And you end up saying things and doing things with your mouth, using language, being critical, being negative. And later on, you think, I, I, wish, I wish I hadn't done that mr sin comes to you and says can i can can i have your eyes oh sure you you can have them all weekend can i have your feet yeah okay you can have my feet paul is personifying sin and so let's for a moment apply this to our lives the word offer here that i that i have emphasized three places or, or have highlighted where it's used three places the word offer is a worship word um, we read passages like Romans chapter 12, where it talks about offering ourselves o- on the altar. Um, we oftentimes think about worship, and we think it's this one hour a week, and we get real uptight about what we can and cannot do during this one hour. And everybody has you know, a perspective about what should happen during this hour. But biblically, a lot of times, the, the idea of worship is broadened, and it's It has to do with what we do with our lives. Are we going to give our lives to God? And so in this passage, he's saying we're to offer our bodies to him. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of, of wickedness, but rather offer, notice, offer yourselves to God. Paul is emphatic here. Offer yourself to God. Think of it like this. Just as our whole body goes under the water when we're baptized, we're offering our whole body to God in service. He wants all of us. Here's something about holiness. Holiness is becoming in practice, and we'll put this on the screen now, who we are in Christ. Think about that. Holiness is becoming in practice who we are in Christ. 
Now, I don't know what your struggles are, but more than likely, some of you uh, struggle with your, uh, with your lips, with the things that you say. So what if this week, as we strive to apply this in a very practical way to our lives, what if this week you said, Lord, I'm offering my words to you? And so this week, when you felt the need to be negative or critical, you would stop and say, wait a minute, I- I'm, offered, I'm offering my words to God. That, that, those words didn't build anybody up. Instead of saying things that are vile and corrupt, we said, wait a minute, Lord, I, I, I repent of that. I, I'm going to offer my words now to you. Some of us maybe are, are tempted with, with our eyes. Maybe this week we say, you know what, I'm, I'm dedicating, I'm making a, as Job says, I'm making a covenant with my eyes that I will not look on any unclean thing. That's what Job said he did. Maybe this week that's what we do. We offer our eyes, or maybe it's our feet. Maybe we go places we shouldn't, but this week we're saying I'm going to commit to not going places. Whenever uh, I'm tempted to do that, I stop and think to myself, no, I've, I'm making an offering to God. I don't know where you struggle, but one of the ways we can apply this message is this week we say, God, I'm offering myself to you. We're remembering our baptism. You see, one of the things I think we struggle with sometimes as Christians, we struggle with a little bit of what I call spiritual amnesia. What that means is we come into this space and we sing these beautiful songs and we we hear wonderful communion comments like we'll hear in just a moment or we hear a sermon or these great prayers and everything is, is designed to remind us who we are in Christ. But then on Monday we go into our workplaces and we have this sense of amnesia. We forget who we are. Paul wants us to remember who we are. He wants us to look back on our baptisms. He wants to remember us to remember that moment when we confess Jesus. He wants us to remember that moment when we were lowered into the water. He wants us to know some things. He wants us to know how that we're giving every part of ourselves to him. He wants us to remember that we have been brought from death to life. He wants us to remember that we, in fact, have a brand new life. And he wants us to walk in holiness. And to walk in holiness, it does not mean we become some kind of super spiritual person. It doesn't mean we become, you know, some kind of, you know, special whatever. To walk in holiness means I'm taking seriously the idea of following in Jesus' steps. I want to follow Jesus. And I can't follow him in my own power because I'm weak and fallen and broken. But I understand I've, been, I've received the Holy Spirit of God. And that sin now is dead to me. And now my focus is Jesus. And my focus is making a difference in this world. I wonder today, am I speaking to some people who've never made that decision? I might be speaking to someone who's, who's never made the decision to be baptized. There's no better time than right now. We would love to help you with that, and we'll baptize you into Jesus' name in just a few moments. Or maybe there's some in the room today who have a sense of spiritual amnesia, and you need some brothers and sisters to pray for you. We'll have elder couples in the back. They would love to help you. Today, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing this song of encouragement.